Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody, on this magnificent Monday. I'm really happy to have as my guest today Kate Moynihan. Uh, She is the executive director of the SEVA Foundation, and you're going to be hearing about the wonderful work that they're doing by transforming lives by restoring sight. Welcome to the show, Kate. Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And people often ask me when I've you know I've been doing this for quite some time. I have an anniversary coming up. How do you how do you get your guests or how do you come to know your guests? And in the case with you and I, it's pretty special. About three years ago, good friends of mine got married, Vaish and Daniel McKegney. And when they were getting married and they had their registry of what they wanted as gifts and all those things, one of the things that was most important to them was to actually make a donation on behalf of them, and they selected Seva as the location to make a donation. That's what I did to honor them in their marriage, and that is how I've continued to receive information about your organization for quite some time. And I just decided to just reach out and think, why don't I have you guys as a guest on my show? And the rest is history. So here you are, and I'm just <laughs> I'm just delighted to have you join me today. Yeah, I love that story, and it's so it's uh, it's not unusual. We find that a lot of uh, a lot of people will find us through that very personal connection, and for you know trying to find a, a really authentic way to make a difference in the world. So it's a it's a, I'm so glad that you shared that with me earlier too. Yes. So I thought let's get let's get to know you a little bit. Let's I always think it's great to start my show off by who are you? Who are you my guest? So uh let's why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, sure. Well, I was thinking of the introduction of your program. You have your C's, and we have one to add to it, which is compassion and compassion in action. Um, I've actually been in the social good space for well over 30 years, 25 of them internationally, most of the 25 years in what I call man-made disasters. So I was in the Balkans for 13 and then the Middle East for 10 and when I made my uh, decision to come back to the U.S., I'm a single mom and I have a little girl who's now a freshman in high school. I chose a community where I thought I could, you know, bring my world experience to, uh, you know, a world-class organization. And I was lucky enough to, to basically find SEVA and see this as an opportunity to sort of bring that international love uh, to a domestic organization that really um, has a beautiful global reach. Boy, I'll say, uh, I as, as people are listening, um, and we'll mention this throughout the show. You have a spectacular, really, I think, emotional website that just draws everybody in. And I, I learned from you that while it may not look like the word Seva, because it is spelled S E V A dot org, that is how 
it is pronounced, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But I wanted people to know right from the very beginning that they can easily visit this website to learn everything about the things that, that you and your organization does. When, so you sounds like you had quite the experience in the Balkans and in the Mideast. Wow, that's, that's really remarkable. When did you become the exec at uh, SEVA? I was hired back in April of 2017, so I'm closing in on a three-year anniversary in just a couple of months. Yes, you are. It's been really three of the best years of my life. (laughs) Oh, isn't that so nice? So for people that are totally unfamiliar with SAVE, and let's presume that they are, let's start with some of the beginning things that I think is really instrumental and interesting about this organization. So what does the word SEVA mean? Well, SEVA means, it's a Sanskrit word, and it means selfless service. And um, and and then from that grew a commitment to site restoration. So our current mission is to end avoidable blindness because we believe that lives are transformed by restoring sight. So with support from partners and, and people across the United States who have been generous with their Philanthropy. We're one of the leading organizations that help reduce the price of a surgery to $50, and it takes only about 15 minutes. So we've been able to achieve that. Excuse me, in the in in the arc of the for the 40 years that we've been around. Isn't that something? So 40 years. That's really that's a long time, and what a admirable mission to end avoidable blindness. And I think avoidable is also very key in this because as we will continue to talk throughout this hour um, in many ways, that's really an enormous part of being able to do what you do, which is to avoid it. Um, and I, I like that. So so your organization has been around for 40 years, as you mentioned. What, Where, where in the world do you focus your um, attention? We uh, save us in about 20 countries, and throughout the 40 years, we've we've we have an impact of of serving about 40 million people with services, screenings, eye screenings at schools or surgeries, and of that 40 million, five million are have regained their sight. So it's a it's an original startup. It's a group that maybe wasn't labeled a startup 40 years ago, but it meets that criteria today. And it's a really pretty little successful example of that. And we're we're currently in a, I'm sorry, excuse me, in over 20 countries, and we're in uh, countries across Asia, Africa, and the Americas. And I bet and willing to grow, right? Why Absolutely. why stop there, right? Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll probably mean, talk about that. That's right. As you can imagine, it's it's a combination of trying to be in the communities where we can do the most good because there's a large population that needs the work and access to the work that we provide. But at the same time, we have a commitment to going where it's hardest to reach. So we have a a habit of doing both. And obviously then language becomes a part of this. You have to be able to serve people where they're at, right? So you have to have people, boots on the ground, that can speak the language of what of whatever country they're in to help make a difference, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. As you would imagine, part, a big part of 
why SEVA, and there was even a, a Lancet report that was released a couple of years ago that not only predicted a tripling of this issue because the aging world population results in more people with cataracts, but one thing they cited was the way that we're going to move the needle on this is to make sure that these the interventions or the initiatives are community-based. And that's been a really, uh, I think it's a cornerstone and an anchor to how SAVE has always approached the work, that, they, that there's been this appreciation for local men and women with talents. And then there's some obviously shared learnings of best practices. But SAVA brings the combination of the compassion and action, which is sort of that selfless service underpinning, and then we marry it quickly with really great science and really rigorous data. And we make sure that it's all indigenous and locally based so that it can be sustainable and that we know it's culturally humble and culturally appropriate. Isn't that wonderful? So you have, I, I would presume you have a board of directors, right, that work with you? Oh yeah, and that the board yeah. is uh, the Save a Foundation is, is is some of the most dynamic and committed and passionate uh, people that you could ever come to know, and they range in you know they really we're very lucky that they give of their time and their talent, and they represent the best in their industries. We have leaders in you know from financial backgrounds with marketing backgrounds. We also have ophthalmologists, as you would imagine. So and we have international representatives from India and from Guatemala. So we're we're really fortunate that we have a have a terrific, uh, terrifically talented and engaged board. And you know that's that's key in any nonprofit. I don't care whether you are localized like I am with the YMCA or with Rotary, frankly, where where we are an international organization as well. There are so many remarkable remarkable nonprofits and i i feel so privileged frankly every week to be able to feature nonprofits because it's it's not just your 9 to 5 okay i'm going home now and i'm going to watch jeopardy mm-hmm. tonight it it's <laughs> it's internal you know you might go home and watch mm-hmm. jeopardy too but i'm just saying it's internal it goes wherever you go and i frankly i just love the logo i just I I, I oh. love the third eye. I love the logo. I love the. I think your logo is fabulous. Whoever designed that logo, whenever they did it, congratulations to them. I think it's fabulous. So thinking about these forty years, because you know it sounds like you you brought a wealth of uh, experience to the job. Um, let's talk about let's let's kind of get to know this organization. So let's let's start with the founders because I think that that's a pretty interesting story, isn't it? Oh, I I absolutely agree with you. It's almost an embarrassment of riches because not only are we fortunate to have partners worldwide, but our founding, our origin story is is really remarkable. In fact, we internally refer to them as the originals. And it's um it's people like Ram Das and Wavy Gravy, who folks will remember as the M C from the Woodstock uh, mm-hmm. uh concert area, Jahanra Romney, his partner and and love of his life, and Larry Doctor Larry Brilliant, who is part of the WHO team that eradicated smallpox and Geerja Brilliant, Doctor Geerja Brilliant, Suzanne Gilbert you know they they basically are this was a this was a group of folks that knew each other on a personal level 
And then I think through a series of experiences, and some of them re- related to traveling to India and, and having exposure to um, other cultures and communities and needs, and then obviously at the end of you know the smallpox and realizing, well, when we join forces for good, we can actually eliminate something. We can rid the world of something that's robbing people their dignity. And uh, this is the group of folks that were at the, at, you know, at the epicenter of starting SEVA. And, um, you know, we've always found that that was, that really anchors us not only in the compassion, but also in the science. Did, was India the first international place that SEVA started? Well, India, yes, our, our our lead partner group was is is and to this day still is a partner uh, is the Aravind Eye Hospital, and that is uh, one of the one of the wonderful stories there is that this Dr. V, his name is very long, but we, he's known by our founders as Dr. V. He had a vision about what would it look like if eye care could be as the access to it and the affordability of it could be as common as going to the McDonald's. And so that's really what inspired a lot of the a lot of the early folks here at Seva to figure out how how might that look. And so my understanding is that, you know, all of these so you have all these different players here in the United States and then you had some folks joining them from as far away as England to Kathmandu and they joined up with, um, uh, they joined up and gathered at an ashram in the Himalayan foothills, and they combined forces, mm-hmm. and they basically, at that point in time, made the decision to um, basically form Seva, and then quickly after that, we had um, one of the founders, Wavy Gravy, charged with finding musical talent that could help raise money to support the work, and he ended up on a plane with the Grateful Dead that's probably worthy of another show, but that has a whole <laughs> whole lore behind it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they ended up, the Grateful Dead ended up supporting and doing concerts for Seva, in addition to Ram Das, who his own touring and spiritual leadership he would he would go out and and host um lectures and sessions and and turn over the funds to that to help the work of seva it's it's a it's a great story and you're absolutely right you could have the most fabulous conception of making a change in the world but we got to be honest anybody that's listening and, and involves themselves in any kind of nonprofit whether you are a volunteer in one or you're a contributor to one, you cannot continue your work without finances. I mean, that is just, it just goes without saying that that it is through the contributions, whether it's the concert or it's the outright contribution or whatever that might be, that continues to allow you to do this for over 40 years. I, that That is just absolutely remarkable and when i love it that you're that they're called the originals i think that's a pretty that's pretty funny i i made a note of that so (laughs) 40 years I, i mean 40 years i don't know how we can capture all of what you've done in 40 years but i think it's really important for us to talk about where you do focus and where your priorities really are. So why don't why don't you take us on that journey about what it is you do specifically? Well, I think for me that and this is I I try and use my purchase. I've come into this family or the fabric of save a you know at the you know at the beginning of a new chapter. I, it's always been about how to how to reach more people with world class medicine 
at an affordable rate that makes it locally sustainable. And then that's where the fun begins. How do we do that? And how do we do it in a way that really embraces human dignity that sort of is a good representative of local culture and local local um, traditions. And we basically have what's called, we, we operate on like four major pillars. We try and work with children because when you work with kids, you actually have access to the whole family. You might get the grandmother waiting in line at the school screening and then you can help the grandmother also get the care that she might need. So kids are, are a, 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 fo a focal point for us. Technology is something that SAVE has always been very involved with. Right now we're looking at biosimilars and developing a camera. We can talk more about that later, but there's a lot of new advances okay. that we're exploring. But one of our one of our historical contributions to the world of eye care is AuroLab, that back in the day the interocular lens cost a lot of money, and it was only something that people in wealthier communities could afford. And SAVA, together with Aravind, the eye hospital that I mentioned earlier, they joined forces and they wondered, well, what would it look like if we could produce that interocular lens at a cheaper amount of money? And the short code is that, you know, several years later, it's now the number one of the number one producers of a of an interocular lens at only about a dollar or five dollars when they were hundreds of dollars. And so that ability to produce the the very piece of tech and the very piece of medical hardware that needed to be affordable was something that together with our partner in India we were able to be a big part of. So I think Sava was the first $250,000 to help start that company. Is it, so, let me interrupt because I'm may I just interrupt because I want to make sure oh, I understand. Of course. So yeah. is it called is it called an inner ocular lens? Is that did I get the is that how you say it? Yes. Is it I N R ocular I O L inner ocular and then mm -hmm. lens and it's basically the piece of the eye that that has to once you have a cataract you have to replace it. Folks listening may remember there was a day when when you'd have a cataract surgery that you'd have to then wear very almost coke bottle they call coke bottle lenses they were very thick lenses in order to be able to see after the cataract. Well, interocular lens allows it to kind of mirror. It's a, it's a man-made device that basically replaces the, um, the, the, replaces the piece that's been taken out as a result of the cataract. I see. Okay. So I, I want to I, – I, pardon me while I interrupt you, but, I, but I, no, if, if I'm do. curious, you know, then I'm, maybe our listeners are. So you said you had the four pillars. You said kids was one. Technology, yep, and then technology. was two. What would be what was the third third pillar? The third one is something we call vision centers, and these are locally based um, uh, places where people can go, and they tend to be the places where mostly women and kids can reach. So you, in some of these communities, distance is a reason why people aren't getting the care they need. And so one of our ways of bridging the distance is by helping to open up something called vision centers. And these centers can actually help with 80% of the community eye care needs. It might be a pair of glasses for your kid or maybe eye drops for something that's ailing you. And those those patients that might need more care are then referred to the hospital that's maybe further down the road or <clears throat> a couple of hours out. And so we actually have helped to develop a series of these vision centers and then work to help make them financially sustainable within a two- to three-year mm. period. That's that's really great because we're talking about, in some cases, the word would be villages, right, where, there's, where there are it's, – it's rural. It's, we're not talking about 
New Delhi. We're right. We're talking about we're talking about rural areas in parts of the country, in Guatemala and some of the places that you provide services, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's been again. This is that theme of access because access is a you know access and then capacity. Those are two prohibitors to some. I, this is the, per, the the story that keeps me up at night. Like there's some woman in a community that can't get to the care. And so our hope is that all of our efforts are looking for locally, you know, generated ideas to help, you know, kind of lower that access issue, to, to lower that bar. And community, these vision centers aren't fancy buildings. Sometimes they're a repurposed library or sometimes they're adjoined with some other community building or sometimes it serves multiple functions on three days a week it's an eye clinic and then it might be something else on the other two days but but it's all a place where people feel comfortable and they can get to it safely and it might be part of the the routine it might be next to the market where the women and the kids are already going and this is a chance for them to then stop in and get that thing checked out that's been bothering them or their friend tells them that they got a pair of glasses and so they feel more comfortable going in themselves that's wonderful because I can imagine that there could be apprehension about doing that. You know, I you know maybe like, well, what if we can't afford it, and and how? What if they can't help me? And I can imagine there's all kinds of things that go through people's minds as they're perhaps reluctant to visit um, a vision center. What would be your fourth pillar? Uh, the fourth one is what was training or what we call also job creation. I shared with the team when I first got this position that SEVA actually has a remarkable job creation story that in an, in an effort to, to really focus on local talent, we've helped to create a whole new industry called a mid-level ophthalmologist. And these young men and women are actually helping make the ophthalmologists more effective at their jobs. They are able to, they're, they're clinicians, they're trained, they can they can do the screenings, they can, um, they can help administer some of the medicines at a certain level. It's a lot of detail, but they don't, they don't necessarily do the surgeries, of course. That takes a very specific uh, amount of training. But we are able mm-hmm. to not only train these men and women in doing this, but then they actually have jobs where they go to these vision centers and then they'll actually help local men and women that they already know. So you'll have somebody that's familiar to you and it speaks to what you were just talking about in terms of increasing people's comfort, that they're going they're going someplace with somebody that may understand their local community or their local festivals and understand uh, you know, their particulars. I bet. But I would imagine yeah. <laughs> Uh, really, I uh, I I would imagine, like any organization, when you're when you have such a strong desire to make a difference in wherever you go, that there can be challenges along the way. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you have faced? You know, I think um, yeah, there there are quite a. I mean, there have been a few, especially in the early days. I mean, I think that there have been several. Uh, when I listened to the originals tell like how this got started, this really was a labor of love. They, the stories were that they would literally go around the the table and everyone would empty their wallet to try and keep the work going. I think there was also a period of time where Seva didn't really have a focus on site. I think Seva had uh, several activities, community-based activities. It was always intended to be of service. It was always intended to be social good, but it didn't have the focus of site. And I think that the the journey to sort of landing on one particular um, health-related 
issue that's a principal threat to people's dignity. I think that that decision was was a lot of soul searching for for the board and for the originals who were serving at that time. And then, as you can imagine, we're working in communities that have. Uh, lots of different uh, realities, everything from man-made disasters to natural disasters to changes in political climate. So, you know, through it all, I think what's been really heartwarming is the, the approach to base the interventions on solid relationships and a real understanding of the community, I think, has really, you know, kind of helped save a weather some of those uh, more difficult times. When did when did they you know it's interesting I I hear myself as I've told my friends about this particular show and as I've written about it in my blog and I hear these descriptor words come out of my mouth that all relate to the word sight and I, I was just about to do that again so I guess what I was going to say with no pun intended when did the vision change to go where the focus was. Um, focusing more on the site. How long ago did that actually make that paradigm switch? Right. That would have been in the mid to late 80s. I think there was a, it was about 10 years in, and I think that the decision was that, uh, you know, that they needed to really focus on something that was, no pun intended, of course, but really exactly. something that was going to allow them a unity of effort and then through that, you know, be able to, to serve more people, and I and I think it was really superb that they would have done that. I, in many ways, I think Seva would make a really good um, Harvard kind of case study for startups because it had a diverse group of men and women from diverse, you know, um, backgrounds. You had Wavy Gravy, who's a clown, and Ram Dass, who was a spiritual leader. You had Larry Brilliant, who's a doctor, and we often claim even Steve Jobs because of his original commitment to the organization he was one of the first um financial contributors so you you know you have all of that wonderful thinking and that allowed the group to realize that in order to serve more in order to really fully realize that compassion and action they they would need to discipline themselves in where they were going to make a difference and i think that that was a superb really smart call i had nothing to do with it so i get to brag about it like i am there you go it was a really smart it, decision <laughs> But it, it it makes sense. I, and to me, it makes total sense because of how important vision is. And for those of us that can just throw on a pair of glasses or, in my kid's case, throw on a pair of contacts and know that you can see when you're driving and you can see when you're looking at the computer and you can watch your television programs and you just take it for granted. Well, shoot, if you can't see, well, you go to the eye doctor. What else? I mean, you know, it's obvious. You hope you have insurance. But, you know, it's sometimes those of us that are fortunate, unless we've been Unless the conversation has been brought forward, it's like drinking water. You know, you just put the tap on and you think you're going to get clean water. Well, there's parts of the world where people walk for three and four miles just to find a well. So we we don't really always know what other people's problems, and, and they probably don't even call them problems, but they're living conditions that, that that were that's what this show is so that's why this show is so important to me because it brings you, you talked about universal access but it also does that for the listeners that maybe are listening to this and have just never heard of Seva and now they have an opportunity to know about the the reach that you've had over these years and the, and the and the originals that started with you i think it's it's just tremendous so i uh, i understand that there's problems and that 
with all problems that there are solutions and um maybe we could talk a little bit more about some of the solutions that you've come to um as you've met some of these challenges yeah well you know i, lo- I really going to thank you so much for sharing that because about you know the, i love your metaphor about turning on the water and expecting something cuz that that's really it isn't it it's trying trying to bridge a big yes. divide that it's mm-hmm. it's almost hard to imagine a community where something as simple as um, getting a pair of glasses for your kid is is not something that just happens. You know, we can walk into a Walgreens and get that if we needed to. So, to begin to imagine that, and I think as the as the founders and the originals landed on site, they could they really got the they got the math right on this one. I mean, there's a recent um, World Health Organization report that just came out, and over a billion people in the world have a vision impairment that could have been prevented or is yet to be addressed. And then that's exactly our space. That's what we want to address because what we also know, and I, I maybe I hope I'm not repeating myself, but what I we know that this is the number one poverty reducing thing that you can do for somebody wow. is restore no, their sight. That's that. wow. you know it's the World Bank has said that we know that to be true anecdotally and because of our own exposure in the field. But the World Bank has has actually confirmed that restoring sight is the number one thing because, as you would imagine, the first thing that happens is that person goes from being uh, a person who might be a drain on that family structure. Maybe the daughter isn't working or maybe the granddaughter isn't going to school or the son isn't doing what he could be doing because they're taking care of that other family member. But the minute you have your sight back, you're able to go to the market on your own or you're able to get a job, you're able to go back to school all of those things are possible. And so that's something that's really uh, profound when you think about it um, that way. And I think our solution is really building sustainable systems on those four pillars that you and I just spoke about, which is care. I care for kids and children, technology, training, and these vision centers. And yeah. we have some uh, big ideas for we think we can eliminate avoidable blindness in Latin America, and we're going to try and do it in Guatemala through our partner, Visualisa. And we think that that's a 10-year strategy, and we have a big plan for how that can be accomplished. And then when and as we roll it out there, we'll be able to work with our sister countries that are part of this program in Mexico, Paraguay, and Peru. And so that's something really big. We also believe that in Nepal and Cambodia, two communities where SAVE has been working for several decades, they're closing the gap on on the backlog of cataracts, and now they have to worry about just making sure people get glasses and you know, and basically attending to the to the new cases of cataracts. So that's a big success story, and how to help those communities achieve those successes. Do you do you go into the schools? I mean, I'm trying to visualize. Oh God, there's another one of those words. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to visualize a community or a village, and in my mind, I see it as rural. And maybe that's a misnomer in itself. Maybe, I mean, I, I'm thinking about personally, just my own personal experience. Um, I haven't been to Guatemala, but I have been to South Africa, and I have been in really rural areas where you just hope that kids can get clean water where people aren't living in containers and that they can actually have some kind of medical attention um i'm just i'm just trying to imagine what it must be like to be a child that that really can't see when i think about my own daughter 
at age nine, she didn't tell us that she couldn't clearly see the blackboard on at school. The the way we found, the way we realized she was having trouble seeing was when she was playing softball and she a ball was coming to the field and it hit her in the head because she couldn't see it. She couldn't focus oh, wow. on it, and it was like, how did that happen? And that was like, oh well, maybe maybe you had trouble seeing it. Why didn't you tell us? And I mean, my husband wore glasses, so it wasn't like it wasn't in the family. And sure enough, there was my daughter at nine years old with her first pair of glasses. And I mean, we're fortunate, you know. But I, I just I think about the circumstances and the living conditions of of people that just don't have what we all take for granted. And I just I just can't imagine how restoring the sight in those people how it affects their their life do you go into the schools it does do your do your do your volunteers do you have volunteers within these within this as well as your you know your training and your 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 um centers do you have people that also volunteer in these locations we have um we have community outreach people who oh, help you do. by yeah evangelizing or going out and help sharing what's possible and then what we also find is just the word of mouth. Real, it's there's nothing mm-hmm. better than one parent. Like a story like what you just shared about your daughter is, uh, mm-hmm. and then there's actually a, a, a there's a woman in New York who, who her beautiful beautiful daughter also had a very, toddler was running into things, and at first they thought it was something more serious like a tumor, and because she had access to wonderful care, they were able to determine that it was a really aggressive cataract on a small child. And because of that experience, she reached out to Seva, and we combined forces, and she was brave and generous and told the story, and then we were able to raise awareness about the work that we do because she wanted her family's experience to help not only help inform people about the work that we do, but she wanted it to almost be an expression of love to some mother in some community that doesn't have access to care. And this is the way of helping get the care to that parent or that family. And so when you visualize whether or not it's rural or there, we sometimes work in urban areas. Guatemala, mm-hmm. you know, city is a, is an urban community, but there's also a lot of poverty and there's a lot of need, and we partner there. And then we're up in the Patan, which is probably more similar to what you would have experienced in some parts of South Africa. And so mm-hmm. in, in terms of ruralness and for, in terms of roads, in terms of in terms of that, um, and uh, and then and then in terms of how we reach the kids, we're reaching them in in lots of different ways. Sometimes it is a school screening. We're going into the schools, and other times it's because these vision centers are community friendly that they know that they can bring their kids. And I remember visiting one in in Guatemala actually, and the little boy in front of me was at one of our vision centers, and he was trying on his glasses, and the and the person had done the the whole refraction and determined what his prescription was going to be and he got to choose what he wanted and and you could just see the parent so proud that she could pay on a sliding scale what she could afford and the whole thing worked out beautifully and he walked out of there within 20 minutes with a brand new pair of glasses and he could go do his homework or do whatever he needed to do I'm going to I'm going to reflect on what you've just said by just anecdotally adding to my own experiences and what you've talked about I'm I'm part of a, the Playa Venice uh, Rotary, and 
um, Vision to Learn is um, a, an organization that helps do exactly what you said, where they they go to underserved schools and they do eye exams and then they fit them with glasses. And I happened to have the great pleasure of being there one day when these children either were getting their very first pair of glasses or they were getting a pair of glasses because the current ones that they were wearing were no longer effective. And to watch their faces when they were like, (laughs) whoa, and not to mention the side effects of them being better students and not disruptive and not being a problem in the classroom because, frankly, they were having trouble, you know, just being good students because they couldn't see well and they were they were disruptive in the classroom. And that was just something that I saw in, in a community that's, you know, 20 minutes from my house. So I've mm-hmm. seen in reality what what something just as similar as glasses can mean to a child. Um, w- tell me some more about I, your website has some very emotional uh, videos of what happens when people um, are touched, and I would I would love to hear some of the stories that you could share based on the services that you have provided from a vast variety of people, from the young to the old. Oh, thank. Well, one of the ones I think you might have seen would have been um, uh, this husband and firefighter from Guatemala, who was, you know, very proud firefighter for about 16 years, and then a few years ago he noticed that his vision was starting to fade, and he had cataracts in both eyes, which is a devastating problem for a firefighter, and he didn't have access to proper care. And um, he was having difficulty finding, you know, treatment. And then his supervisors ended up demoting him and then transferring Mm -hmm. him to a desk job. And then he was fielding phone calls. And then they made him a janitor. And when his eyesight became too impaired for that, they simply fired him. But what happened was uh, he heard of SEVA, of a partner hospital of ours. uh, It's called the Vincent uh, Eye Clinic. And thanks to the generosity of, like, men and women across the U.S. that basically gift their their monies and their, you know, basically we amplify those values, he was able to receive uh, surgery on both eyes. And after a quick and safe and expensive procedure, he saw again, and, and I think in his own words, he says he's as, he's as good as new again. And when he re- mm-hmm. you know, gained his sight, he also regained a sense of purpose. And now he's basically back serving his community and saving lives as a firefighter. He's back as a firefighter, and that's the dignity restored that we were talking about earlier that comes mm-hmm. with the ability to... You know, most of us, we just want to be able to take care of ourselves and take care of the people we love, and you can kind of see your way. There was another one where the the woman was speaking about the fact that how could she make dinner for her family if she can't see in the kitchen? She's not safe. She's not going to mm-hmm. put the stove on and have fire around her if she if she's unsafe to do so. Um, it's it you I think. I don't think it's unusual for, for for us to, when we are able to do things, um, to not recognize that sometimes others can't. And that's the beauty of nonprofit work that, that does make a difference and why you are all making such an enormous difference wherever you go, whether it's in Guatemala or it's in India or, like you said, the effect of change that you had somebody here just in the States I think is 
is is pretty remarkable and 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 to think i mean maybe you could do this i know i mentioned this in my blog but in case people don't really know could you just quickly say what exactly is a cataract what what is a cataract is well it, if is, you it's a film that kind of grows as you age. I'm going to, the scientists listening are going to cringe, but I think for the average that's person, okay. yes. It's, it's, yes, it's pretty much a film that grows over the eye, and and mm-hmm. and it basically makes it impossible. It, it's almost it's, it becomes opaque. It becomes impossible. It, you it's just you can see light, but you can't distinguish. Um, mm-hmm. You can't distinguish shapes or faces or things like that. So you are essentially without your sight, and it's something that can be treated and removed in 15 minutes. But it's a growth, and it's usually associated with age. All all of us are going to get them because if you live long enough, most of not all of us, but most of us are going to be genetically inclined to get them. And here in the states, they're very easy to be dealt with and. Most insurances cover it, but internationally, they're game changers, especially with people that have limited access to um, care. I, and I would agree. I, I know when I go for my yearly eye exam, it's absolutely one of the things that they look for. In in some of the countries where it's where it's a little bit more difficult, does does diet play a role in in eye prevent eye eye care and eye prevention and eye health at all? Well, diet, I think, not is, is always, it plays a role in overall good health. I don't think that there's, mm-hmm. uh, I think it has more, at least what I understand is the cataracts are more attributed to things like um, sun exposure and altitude, which is why you find a big, you know, a big, uh, why one of our first country offices was in Nepal. But I also think it has more to do with access to care. Um, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know that there's any prescription for, you know, like you can have disease, you know, heart, heart healthy diets. I don't think, I think there are some things that you mm-hmm. can be eating that can help contribute to a healthier lifestyle, but nothing right. that would, um, that I'm aware of that would actually prevent uh, the growth of cataract. And is it genetic or not necessarily? Not necessarily, but but mm-hmm. I think it's more, yeah, but I think that if your parents do have it, it's like everything else. I think you can be more mm-hmm. inclined to be uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that it's a, uh, it's not it, nothing's a guarantee because everything's you know the minute you're your own person. But I think that there are some thing, aspects of it that are. Sure, we had talked about at the beginning of the show about the originals, and for the yogis in the world, I happen to have a very good hmm. friend that that's my personal yogi and it's very important to me in my life. Um, you, we lost a really significant person in. Baba Ramdas um just this past December at the age of 88 and he was he was a pretty significant man for people don't that don't know he was a spiritual teacher he was a psychologist he was an author and so much more do you want to tell us a little bit about his role in your organization when he first got started as part of the originals oh absolutely in fact uh, Seva worked with the originals on January 31st to have a uh, Be Here Now remembering service for Ram Das in San Francisco at the very church where he gave his seminal uh, seminal series of lectures back 50 years ago. 
and mm-hmm. he like you said he's a co-founder and an architect he was uh, he's largely considered a spiritual north star a servant teacher friend super fundraiser and he would often offer to go on 20 or 40 city lecture tours and he kept none of the ticket proceeds for himself and all of it went back to us but one of the funnest stories that I'll hear the originals lament is that in the early days of Seva there was a big internal debate around doing or being. Are we supposed to go out there and do stuff to help people or did we need to be? Or do we need to and so Ram Das was a proponent of the being, right? And a second original named Nicole de Grasse, she's the woman who led the the smallpox of eradication uh, uh, elimination um for the mm-hmm. WHO, she was a real doer. And then they, they, they got into the scooby dooby doo you know, do we do we do it or do we be it? Do we do it? Do we be it? <laughs> so that, you know, even, even in this sort of ethereal debate about do you do or do you be, there was humor around the fact that it was scooby dooby doo and um and and I think what the net result was the compassion and action value statement that I inherited today that it com- it wasn't a zero sum proposition it's together and and he's a big reason why that's front and center for us and he has a lovely quote about um he'd like his life to be a statement of love and compassion and where where it isn't that's where my work lies and I think that resonates mm. For all of us that, who work at Save It Today. So he has a statement of love and compassion. And would you repeat what you said after that? Well, he said that um, he, he, supposedly the quote attributed to him is, I would like my life to be a statement of love and compassion. And where it isn't, that's where my work lies. Oh, man. Boy, that's that okay that's okay i i i've got that that's that's pretty powerful isn't it wow yeah okay um so in the time that we have remaining i think it would be <laughs> great to know because i you know if we were just sitting here with the starbucks we could probably do this all afternoon but you've got things to do and i have things to do what well, i love what talking you... to you so i I'd, I'd be oh. happy to stay at that starbucks oh there you go <laughs> Well, you know, I was born to talk, so this is easy for me. <laughs> um, that's so funny. So tell me, um, what are the big plans or projects that you guys are currently working on? Do you have anything you know, in the works? Tr- we do. I mean, what we're trying to do is we're asking ourselves, can we? could we do more? Could we help more people see? And we're trying to, for this particular calendar year, it's 2020, and we have a C2020 initiative that's trying to, uh, you know, bring in more support in the areas of technology, kids, the vision centers, and the job creation and training. So that's our our big hope is to just um, scale up a lot of what we're doing. We're also looking at taking another um, swing at the technology side of things and the innovation side. We're looking at biosimilars and helping to um, help work with drugs that are coming off pattern and possibly making them more affordable. We're looking at an an advanced screening piece of equipment that I think if it works is going to disrupt the whole screening process, and that's how you you basically examine people. And then we're really going to be exploring um, better ways to use telemedicine and then our vision centers and, and how how can they be equipped with maybe more of these telemedicine machines so that men and women as they go to get their um, 
their services in our, in our locally-based clinics can actually have access to doctors that might be in the major city. And so those are the things that I think are exciting and I think are going to really change the way the world um, sees again. What is a telemedicine machine? Basically, it's a uh, think of it as, um, you know, when you do web or teleconferences, but this would be something where a clinician, let's say, in one of your rural communities that you're thinking about, right, and, and picture mm-hmm. that, and you go in, and there's a machine, you put your face on a little chin holder, someone takes a picture oh, of your eye, yes. and that eye, that image gets pushed out to an expert, and they could be anywhere in the world. And in our case, it tends to be whatever the local hospital is. It might be 80 kilometers away or a couple hours away. And then an ophthalmologist on the other side or an optometrist will take a look at that image, and they'll help the local person at the vision center, that clinician, say, you know, this person needs this kind of a, uh, you know, this is the refraction or this is the treatment or these are the drops or you should schedule them for surgery. They'll basically be able to administer care by looking at that image. That's so cool. I know. I, you know I'm it's really glad remarkable. I asked you that. Yeah, because in, with today's technology, you know, to to I because I I there isn't anybody listening that can't picture that light, that that little white thing that we put our chins on and look straight ahead <laughs> That's and right. look at that red dot and try not to blink and we're gonna blow some air into your eyes like oh god I hate that but you know we can we can all relate to that I don't think there's anybody that's listening that can't relate to that but to be able my doctor's right there he's gonna look at those images but you don't have a doctor right there you might have a clinician but maybe you need a specialist and so those images then get um you know transported um via this wonderful technology in this world that we live in right now where that where they can then be supported and information given back i just man that is that is really that's really really cool so i can see where technology can really and, and like you said, I think really important that you said in the beginning about accessibility. You know, you're not going to reach people that don't even know that there's something for them to know about. That that this universal access um, is is really really important, and I can see why you know um, people need to have that. Um, what does it feel like for you? You've had so much experience. What does it feel like? for you personally to be part of an organization like this? You know, when I was interviewing, part of the process was not only to interview with the board, but I had to come and meet the staff before I got the gig. And they asked me mm-hmm. the same question, like, why, what is it? Why really? do you want to come? And, and I honestly mm-hmm. found myself saying something that, you know, in hindsight I was worried that maybe it was a bit too cheeky, but I really believe this. I feel like I've come home. I feel like this was where I, everything that I've been doing – was preparing me to come back here so that I could be home again. And then there's another Ram Dass quote that really speaks to me, which is, and it's a a seminal kind of very important quote that he has for his uh, work on dying called walking each other home. We're all just walking each other home. And I felt like that's it. I've been on a journey and I'm now home. You know, I can't believe how many people um, quote that particular saying uh, mm-hmm. I words really matter to me not only do I hear the sound of my own voice voice either out loud or in my head is there's always chatter but I think that 
words are so important. And every single day on my Facebook page, which social media is obviously, you know, very important to what I do. I, I can't do this without it. Every single day I post a word and then I quote the last couple of years. I've quoted what the, who has used that word in a quote. Today was word number 1,175. And that means I've been doing this for a while. And with the exception of a few words, I try not to repeat myself. And the word today I used was sight. And I think it is so vital to living a prosperous and happy life to be able to see. And if there's things that we can do to make that possible, then that's what we can do. And... I I want people to know that there's a lot of different ways that you can be supportive. Um, Clearly, there's your website is absolutely a place where I would direct everybody to go, which is seva.org. Can't be much easier than that. And there's a donate button there. And you know, I guess maybe because currently, right now, I'm working on a fundraising campaign for my local YMCA and we were talking about this, matching funds should not be um, forgotten about because many people work at companies that will match funds. And how wonderful would it be if you wanted to make a $50 pledge so that somebody could get a 15-minute cataract surgery, but your company where you work will match that fund, and now you've got two people that are going to get surgery. I mean, I, 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 I fail to mention that sometimes to people, and I think that it's – I know when my husband was employed, um, they absolutely had matching funds at his company. Maybe they don't do that as often today as they did back in the day, but if your company does that, I think that that's something that's, that's, that's very worth, um, worth you know, considering. Um, so – I'm just curious. I I know because you and I have gotten to know each other before we went on the air together that you you lead a very fruitful, a full life. I try not to use the word busy. I had a millennial tell me that that's not the word we use. We use the word productive. <laughs> so I've isn't that funny? That's what she said. I don't use busy. Busy sounds negative to me. I use productive. I thought, okay, she told me that about three years ago. I tried to try to use the word productive instead of busy. So we both lead productive lives. You've got a teenage daughter that I think is following in your footsteps. Is that right? That she is also I, following along with, with some of the causes that you believe in? Yeah, she is, actually. This is something that really spoke to her. And as you might imagine, as a single parent, when I was considering saying yes to the job, it also meant that you know I was going to have to travel, and I wanted her to understand why I would be away a little bit more than I normally was. And she's fallen in love with this idea, and she has started a chapter at a local high school to sort of bring attention to site-related issues in kids, and so she's she's trying to start something at her local high school here in Oakland. I think that's so great because it's kind of it reminds me of that term I don't remember which nonprofit was doing it but the gift that just keeps on giving yeah, you know that right. it really I don't even it, I guess it wasn't that great of a brand because I don't remember who did it but but the sentiment can work for whomever is working in a nonprofit it is the gift that keeps on giving and just by by observing you and seeing your um compassion 
and, and I and I love that. I think that compassion is a, a very important C word. Um, I think that that's that's really that's really important. And and you know, some kids will will pick up on that and think, well, you know, I think that there's something I can do. Maybe they're like like you say in my local school, or maybe maybe it's just. I mean, it's not as if you have to live in another country, as you mentioned at the top of the hour, that you suddenly need to know about cataracts or anything else that, that's related to your sight. You know, to, if, if everyone that had cataracts had accessibility to surgery, my gosh, imagine. You know, I mean, it's just... It's pretty remarkable, and maybe you don't have cataracts, but you just need glasses because your vision is compromised. My daughter didn't have cataracts. She just didn't see well, and she needed glasses to assist her in her vision. So when you're not being productive, I like that choice, how do you balance your life? What do you, what do, you do that keeps you equalized between traveling like you do being a single parent, the demands of work, what do you personally do that you find balances you out so that you can do all that you do? Oh, well, um, you know, sometimes I don't think anyone's asked me that question in a really long time. I I, I happen mm-hmm. to have a, a pretty I, – I do meditation for myself, um, although mm-hmm. I don't – I feel like uh, – so that's a part of – of what balances me out and I and we have a morning practice my daughter and I have a morning practice together and it's a way of connecting back with her rather than just me being the mom you know barking at a teenager and then I do a lot of writing and a lot of reading and then I love the hikes I get with my we have a we have a dog and so we take long hikes uh, in the in the in, in the hills of Berkeley and then out at the Point Isabel here in the Bay Area it's it's really interesting I, you know, I think maybe because 2020 is the number of this year is so significant, and you can't hear the word, what what year is this, 2020? <laughs> For me, I can't hear that and not think vision, whether it's yeah. what you can see or what you can imagine as your vision for me, growing my my brand, um, reaching more listeners. That's a that's a vision, and I I I find that this is this is going to be that year. And while listen, there is no way we can't talk about the world epidemic uh, pandemic that's going on right now around the world. It's it's a pretty frightening time right now and we all need to be mindful and healthy and you know say some prayers and meditate i'm i'm a believer of the stillness and meditation as well as we figure out what we can do to correct this virus that is just sweeping across the world Um, it's a pretty scary time and i think that it's just another area that can also be the resolve for gratefulness and i don't know that i've ever really until I started becoming mindful and recognizing the value of gratefulness and recognizing the value of deep breathing. Oh, my God, if you wouldn't normally look at me, my shoulders would be like, you know, a pair of earrings. Uh, You know, (laughs) I'm not kidding. You know, it's like, oh, my God, but can you just, like, take a deep breath? I mean, I don't know how many times people would say that to me, but it's true. I don't need anybody to tell me that anymore. I understand that quite well myself 
that that part of yoga practice, whether it's not so much the stretching, which can't hurt somebody. I mean, if you can stretch, that's a great thing for your body. Your body's not going to be mad at you for that. But the, uh, the, the ability to mindfully and to purposefully take those deep breaths. And meditate means something different to everybody. It, it could be walking. It could be talking. It could just be thinking. I don't think that there's a way that if, well, that's not meditating. No, that's judgmental. And what we learn in yoga is there's no room for being judgmental. Do not be your own worst critic. I remind myself of that on a regular basis because that's something that I work on. But I think that the fact that you're able to take some time and spend some time, and and I know your dog's name is Spirit, right, because I just love the name of your dog, right? (laughs) Yes, my daughter named him after one of the Mars rovers when she was in the first grade. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of a dog is it? It's a yellow it's lab. A, everything's on everything's oh. on brand. Spirit, Dharma, Kaseva. <laughs> I love that. Yellow labs are the smartest dogs. I mean, I I know that dog. for oh, they make the greatest um um seeing eye dogs. They they are a great service animal as well as just a mm-hmm. wonderful part of the family. I that's mm-hmm. really true. Well, as we come to the end of this hour together and and the beauty of being able to just share this conversation with one another it's meaningful to me that you that you've taken the time out of your day to spend this time with me and and to share with our listeners why you work with Seva, why it's important to you and the incredible work that they're doing they're very fortunate to have such a dedicated um qualified executive director working with them and I, I'm just really grateful for the opportunity of having you on my show today, really. Oh, it's, it's mutual. My team and I are so, so grateful to you for this chance to share what we do and to highlight it because we do believe that when together we can change the world one person at a time. And you're helping us communicate more about that. And you did such a nice job of letting – this is such a good experience for me. I had a, a blast talking to you. You're lovely. We're big fans. Um, so thank you for opening up your program and for giving us a chance to, to share a little bit more about the difference we're trying to make in the world terrific well what i will do now just for those of you that are listening um i will be um certainly writing about this i will be absolutely hyperlinking the information for people to easily find you so that they don't have a problem with that and i hope that it results in in more people following you and and supporting you and it is a, it was a pleasure and i will certainly have to get in touch with my friends vaish and uh dan mckegney and let them know that because of them i'm connected to you because you know if we if you think about it if your eyes are wide open to this oh gosh there's another i can't believe i just said that <laughs> that's right <laughs> it, it it must just be in spiritual but if your eyes are open for the opportunity to help others then then you then not only do you help someone but frankly let's face it that's a great feeling that you can get of the satisfaction of knowing that you indeed have made the difference for someone else it's it's a total win win in my opinion so i just thank you again for your time and i got to tell you about my show next week so next week i'm having a man by the name of bernardo moya on my show 
and he is the founder of something called The Best You. And it's an mm. expo that goes across. It's been in it's been in uh, London. It's also been here in Los Angeles. And it's a giant expo about how you can be the best you. And he is the founder of this. And one of his guest speakers was actually on my show two weeks ago today. Her name is uh, Marissa Peer, and she and she is also going to be speaking. And that's the beauty of podcasting: is that you get to bring people's um, passion to to life. So um, as this show ends, trust me, I'll be working on next week's show. And I want to thank all of you for listening today. And thank you again, Kate, for for joining me. And I will I'll let us let you get on with the rest of your day. And um, I look forward to having all of you out there listening. Join me again next week. Thanks again so much for listening today. <laughs>